Welcome to Naomi's Table, a Bible-based program just for women where seasoned Naomi's nurture young roots with real scriptural food for the spirit, encouraging and equipping your walk in biblical womanhood. Grab a Bible, pull up a chair, and invite your friends. There's plenty of room at Naomi's Table. Welcome to the table, ladies. My name is Amy Spreeman, along with my co-hostess, Nancy LeMay. Hey, Nancy. Hey. Hey, ladies. Today, we're going to have you take a good look around your church at your women, uh, your women's ministries. Are the older women teaching and training younger women like it says to do in Titus 2? Well, we're going to talk about that today, what a solid, good, healthy women's ministry looks like, and uh, why sometimes we might not be there yet. So uh, that's what we're talking about today, and we hope you can join us. We're going to be sharing a lot of scripture today. And we're also going to be in our Bible study. We are in the book of Genesis now. Teacher Connie Stample and Amy will be here soon with today's lesson. Then Amy and I will discuss what are the big lessons we can take from that today? Yeah, amen. That's a, a, such a good thing to do is have personal uh, application because God is speaking to us through his word. And, of course, we believe that his word is truth. And that is our presupposition. If you don't know what that is, we presuppose because that, that is our worldview, that uh, the Bible is truth. It is absolute truth. And uh, we need to align our thinking with Scripture rather than us bringing our own opinions. As, as Nancy and I like to say, we leave those by the door. And uh, we, we all have opinions, don't we, Nancy? Oh, plenty, plenty. <laughs> we do. But we want to say, you know what? None of that matters. What we think doesn't matter. So we're going to explore what God has to say. And uh, today we're talking about women's ministries. Now, I consider Naomi's Table a women's ministry. Now, it's not a church ministry, but it is a ministry that uh, that really does care for women. And we want to make sure that we all come together and understand God's nature and character. And we did base this ministry when we started out on Titus 2, the yes. Titus 2 woman. Mm -hmm. So let me go right to the source here, and I will read you exactly what Titus 2 says. And I'm actually going to start at verse 1, which has some instructions for older men too, but we can learn from that as well. Okay. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. There's so much in there, Nancy, but really when you take all of that Titus 2 description that you just read, that really needs to be the purpose of all uh, women's ministries in churches. And, you know, they look different from church to church uh, organization. Um, but we, again, uh, differentiating, we are the church, all of us uh, sisters in Christ here. Uh, you know, the people are the church. It's not the buildings. But what I'm saying is uh, from fellowship to fellowship, uh, under different leaders in different towns, you are going to find uh, slightly different variations of this, but it all ought to line up with scripture. And so uh, Titus 2 lays out a brilliant model for that. Uh, really, unless older women, um, those of us of a certain age of maturity, take responsibility for teaching the young women, probably won't happen. No, it really won't. And, you know, we oftentimes say, oh, well, that's the pastor's wife's duty. 
Oh. Well, you know, sometimes she has her hands full. And there's no reason why every woman, older woman in the church who is a true disciple of Jesus Christ should not be yeah. helping out with the younger women, mentoring. You know, in business, we have systems set up now to mentor mm-hmm. younger women. We've got big brothers and big sisters where yeah. we are to mentor the next generation, the younger girls. So why are we having such a hard time with the older women teaching and training young women in godly womanhood. Well, you know, there are so many barriers, I think, and uh, Nancy and I are going to talk about a few of them. Um, There's an interesting article that I want to post that will go along with this, and it really has to do with these barriers and how to shape your women's uh, ministry around this idea of Titus 2, and it's called Answering the Call of Titus 2, The Briefing, and uh, MatthiasMedia.com put it out, and I thought these were excellent points, Nancy, and I, I really agree with these, and we could probably add some of our own as well. So so why don't we take a look at some of the reasons older women teaching and training uh, younger women in, in godly womanhood perhaps um, isn't happening in churches today? Well, one of the big things in our Western society is that we often live isolated lives yeah. because of not having that traditional bindings idea of society anymore. We, yeah. we just don't have it. If you go places like um, India or you go places like... Um, you know, maybe even some of the Eastern European nations or things like that, their idea of community is so much different than ours in the West. And we really are uh, living like hermits in our own homes and really not even uh, getting to know who our neighbors are, let alone spending much time in each other's homes, drinking coffee at the kitchen table. You know, Nancy, um, that I can look at my own life and say, wow, I've actually been there and lived that. You know, and again, you you talk about it's not just in the West, but in in our time, um, you go back a couple hundred years and that's how women of the West actually lived. They lived in community uh, and they had those women around their table as you just mentioned. Um, But in my own life, I've moved around several times. Um, I think I've counted seven houses in our 26 years of marriage in different neighborhoods. And um, there are times when I haven't really gotten to know my neighbors real well. Um, I don't right now. I know a handful. I know of, you know, I'm acquainted with Mm -hmm. most of the people, but um, there are people on my my street. We move in and out, you know, highly uh, high turnover, if you will. But um, so easily we can live as hermits in our own homes because we've got our own little uh, microcosm there. Uh, we've got, you know, we, we know that our children are our ministry. We, we know that, but we don't bring it outside the front door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, that too often uh, we don't even feel equipped to yeah. do this. You know, we oftentimes are like, well, I wouldn't know what to say. I, I don't know the Bible well enough, or uh. I don't know these things well enough to be able to try teaching them to others. But, you know, God gives us wisdom, and wisdom only comes with age. Sorry, yeah. folks. <laughs> you know, I, no matter how much my my son might tell me, uh, my stepson might tell me, you know, oh, yes, I, I know all these things, and I'm wise and stuff. And I'm like, you can only get wisdom through experience. Yeah. And that's why sometimes... Having that experience is what really you can share with others. And even if it's a matter of letting them know, I've been there. I have 
walk the path that you're walking before. Oh, amen. You know what? Uh, here's another uh, kind of a barrier, if you will. Uh, these generations that we have in our churches deliberately separated uh, in society, in our church microcosms, and uh, that just didn't happen 50 years ago, but we've now got ministries for age-specific groups of, of women. Um, you know, there's the old ladies group that gets together on Tuesday mornings or whatever. There's the, the mops group, the young moms, and then, you know, so you don't often see the generations um, mixing and mingling and there's nothing wrong with mom's groups and old, you know, but how do you then um, bring those groups together? Yeah, uh, I think that there there is a way and it just requires desire yeah. to be able to do that. I, I think anyone can participate in any group that's going sure. on at church and you just need to have the desire to do that. You know, here is another, um, actually a couple that go hand in hand. Lots of young women don't respect older women and what they have to offer. Oh, yeah. And then also, we have kind of a cultural tendency to resent unsolicited advice, <laughs> seeking counsel only from those that yeah. I guess we're paying for it because then we think it's worth something, and also from just our very, very closest friends. Yeah, that is an interesting thing. You know, and, and we're so self-focused sometimes that we think we've got it all together or, you know, we just don't want that outside advice. Isn't that interesting? That's Oh, oh, this is one that that I think is a big one. It can be hard to find time and energy for women's ministry after working in a job or caring for your family and home all day. We're tired, aren't we? Well, yeah, we are. And, you know, you only have to look as far as the the pharmaceutical industry or, uh, you know, the the talk shows on television to let you know that there there are solutions out there. You just have to buy this product or, you know, get into this uh, yoga pose, which, by the way, I'm I'm saying with bunny ears because uh, we don't, uh, um, you know, we're, we're not promoting yoga on this program i can tell you that but you know be that as there's all sorts of solutions out there worldly solutions to get women less tired and more peppy so that they can what uh so that they can spend more time not doing what we should be doing i guess yeah and i know mike and i fall into this too this trap where you work all day and for us we're working at a ministry so we're working for god all the time you know but we get home, and I know Mike especially, he's like, i got to decompress. Mm-hmm. i got to have my time in front of the TV, watching uh. sports usually. And uh, it's, it becomes really easy sometimes to just allow that to happen yeah. rather than saying, you know what, if I did something that was really meaningful and I did something where I was actually allowing God to kind of flow through me to help someone else, yeah. I might actually find myself more energized afterwards than that exhaustion that you feel when you get home at the end of the day of work. Well, you know, I keep trying to tell Mike, hey, you know, um, Bob and I gave up TV. Mike, what do you think? But, you know, those sports. But anyway, <laughs> but, you know, there are a lot of things that do drain us. I no doubt about that. And, and you know, again, at the, at the end of a day here, I'm, I'm exhausted as well. Um, but we still have responsibilities and we still need to be able to um, mentor other women, of course uh you know take care of our family that has to come first but you know it's not easy to do and and we are so overscheduled aren't we oh yeah we were talking about that actually not too long ago about how busy we and our kids are i mean i don't remember even if you participate in a sport i don't remember it being you know training all year long yeah i don't remember it being constant practices constant meets constant this constant that i don't remember uh having 
uh, kids involved in multiple things. So it's like they were always staying late or needing to be taken somewhere, and maybe dad's going to take Joey to soccer practice while mom takes Susie to dance. And, you know, and, and I just don't remember us being so heavily scheduled. You know, Nancy, you're absolutely right. One thing that my parents did that I I didn't understand at the time, I I really thought this was uh, not a good thing, but then after I got to be a certain age, I I really appreciate that. Uh, They didn't have my brother and I uh, participate in uh, extracurricular sports. And so um, while my little friends were in uh, dance squad and cheerleading and all this other stuff uh, from the time they were in diapers, I didn't have that. Instead, I roamed the neighborhood and played outside and um, made friendships that way and my brother likewise was not in minnesota it was a big hockey state so uh, if you weren't in hockey well you know so he wasn't a a hockey kid and and he had the friend we had the neighborhood you know gangs that would actually play with a a soccer ball uh you know that that kind of team building so that was kind of neat i i will say that um i'm glad that we weren't over scheduled as children now did i do that with my own kids well yes and no i i kept it at a minimum yeah, and that's sometimes hard. Yeah. Telling your kids no. Pick when one. They, yeah, they you want to do all to. these things? Pick one. <laughs> yeah, not letting them do absolutely everything that they want to do. Uh-huh. And especially with the cost of college these days, oh, too, yeah. the pressure is, is oh, well, you know, there's no way we can afford to pay the college, so we have to hope that little Johnny gets a full-ride scholarship yeah. somewhere doing whatever <laughs> sport he he's active in, so we need to make sure that he goes to all those practices and all those summer camps and all the winter camps and all the everything else. So it's it's really hard. You know, something that kind of goes along with this, too, Mm -hmm. is we didn't used to have so many women who were heading back to work so soon after having kids. And, you know, I, I understand the argument sometimes for financial reasons you need to do that. But I've also seen these intriguing shows that say, well, you realize if you were to quit your job, mom, stay at home, actually have dinners ready instead of running through the McDonald's drive through every night or picking up Papa Murphy's <laughs> pizzas, that uh, instead of actually squeaking by on two salaries, you could actually be better off with the lower tax burden, oh, less sure. cost in gasoline and auto insurance and all of that by having you quit your job and become a stay-at-home mom. Right, and if we got back to Titus 2, we would see uh, how God has ordered things. And so our family and our children are supposed to be our ministry, the things that we do for God uh, by caring for our husbands and our little ones uh, so that we we are pleasing God when we do that. And I know it's not uh, as glamorous as getting that next promotion at work, but that is something that is beautiful for God. He loves when we uh, put our little ones before for our own career uh, aspirations. Oh, he sure does. But, you know, that brings up kind of a related topic as well, and that is feminism. You know, feminism sometimes really makes us uncomfortable uh, telling people about those kinds of choices that are available to them. Isn't that funny how how we feel like we are, um, are made to feel sometimes and the temptation to feel this way, ashamed to even give advice about uh, different things like household management for one Mm -hmm. thing, Um, you know, budgets or whatever it is that, uh, you know, a Titus older woman, I call her seasoned instead of older. Let's just call her seasoned. I like that better, but, but you know, we, we are made to feel guilty if we talk about things like child rearing or get this one, 
on um, how to, um, you know, just really serve your husband and make him the best he can be. That's something that, you know, you're going to get a couple of uh, double takes, triple takes on, on those looks you're going to get. And, I mean, face it, the society we live in is all about offense. Yeah. It's all about um, you know, well, you offended me when you said this. You or offended the door me for me. Yeah, yeah don't yeah. hear what? <laughs> Absolutely. And even you know, if you criticize a woman, you're accused of being bigoted, sexist. You know, all of this. Uh, so that's the society we're living in today. So it does kind of make us shy. But I mean, in the church especially, we should not. Uh, really be be falling prey to that we should know okay it's in the bible so here's what god says about all of this yeah and here's what the world says well instead of worrying about what you're doing for your kids and your family what are they doing for you you know that's Mm. what that's what the uh the world will tell you it's like well he needs to be serving you you know what it does titus 2 says that but you know what in exchange for that you you it's a it's a beautiful thing when you when you serve each other and serve the lord together uh how you feel so loved and how you are loved Here's one that that I think we have kind of fallen prey to. Many women's programs that are offered by the church today, they emphasize events rather than teaching, training, and mentoring. Where there is teaching, it's often not purposely applied to women's lives, or it's something so incredibly light and fluffy. It's like you leave there feeling like, okay, I just got a nice little pat on the head and pep talk, (laughs) and that's it, and I feel like I've eaten cotton candy for breakfast. I was just going to say cotton candy. Have you ever? I I actually have been to a lot of those. You know, and and when I first became a Christian, Nancy, I loved that. I ate up that cotton candy, and I felt really good about myself. But who was the emphasis on? I felt good about myself. I, you know, as opposed to what the Bible says about our, our spiritual condition, oh, I, I'll tell you what, but I used to think, and, and this was my um, immature thinking as a very young 20-something woman when I first uh, joined a church for the first time and went to a, a woman's uh, coffee thing, and it was held in a major city in a tea house, and uh, there was a, a crackling fire going, and the smell of cinnamon was in the air, and woman after woman uh, shared and giggled and, you know, their stories and everything, and um, I just didn't hear very much about Jesus at all, but boy, I sure felt good about being a woman and uh, and having that girly, girly girl time. And, and that really kind of misses the point, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Well, we've we've hashed out the problem now. Yeah, we Let's can't start stay there. Talking about some solutions all right. here. Uh, when you look at um, what Titus two says, what we read earlier about mm-hmm. older women teaching and training younger women. Uh, what is it that they really need to be teaching? And, you know, when you when you look exactly at it, you know, to teach them to love their husbands and love their children, see that Paul is not really giving them this list of do's and don'ts. Yeah, we want the list, right? I mean, that's the thing that, you know, we signed up for. If I'm going to be a Christian, just tell me what to do and tell me what not to do. Yep. And uh, he actually uh, wants us to be able to minister and disciple each other so that we can do that with godly uh, decisions. So it's not necessarily teaching 
um, specific skills or a, a list or something like that. It's more teaching principles. Yeah. So what principle is it that we're to teach? Well, let's start with the gospel. Yeah. If a woman does not know the gospel, then she's not going to be able to live a godly life that's going to benefit herself, let yeah. alone her husband or her kids. Yeah, and, and the gospel is so key to all of this. And, and we've talked about this many times, Nancy. In fact, if you listen very carefully to uh, the programming on this radio station, you're going to hear the gospel. And it starts with our condition before God in, in how from the fall of Adam and Eve, uh, we have been sinners and we mm. deserve nothing. And, and of course, God gave us uh, the law and that's what he gave to the Israelites, but no one could keep it. It points to the fact that there is something more. We need that atonement for our sin, for that original sin, along with all the other stuff that we do. But we need that atonement. And uh, it right from the very beginning chapters of the book of Genesis, we, we find a promise. We find that uh, God has promised right in Genesis 3.15, I'll let you look it up, uh, there's a Savior coming, and he will be the one to defeat sin. And so all through Scripture, the Old Testament points to the Savior to come. And there are hints, there are prophecies. We talk about that here, too. When Jesus came, the whole heaven celebrated, yeah. and uh, he came for one purpose, and that is to draw men to himself to forgive their sins and to show them the character and nature of God. But uh, here's the thing, Nancy. When he died on the cross, it is finished, he said, yeah. and he fulfilled the law. And so um, we who believe on him for our eternal grace, that salvation, we are given a brand new heart. He takes our old heart of stone, our, our depravity, washes it clean with his blood and says, you're mine now. And we are truly regenerated daughters in him. And we live for him. We no longer live for ourselves. And it's no longer us who actually does the living. It's him living through us. And so that hope that we have, um, how he fulfilled the gospel message. And the cool thing is, is that he is coming back. And so we are to be ready and watching and waiting for him. And in the meantime, to be doing the work that we're talking about here in Titus 2. And that regenerated heart that you were talking about, that's where all your behavior is going to flow from. Yeah. And so we look at the gospel. It's the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Mm -hmm. It is that gospel that's going to allow you to live your life in freedom that comes from grace rather than trying to um, meet whatever your church's version is of perfect womanhood. Yeah. So we need to constantly remind both other women and ourselves that the the most practical advice that we give isn't really God-ordained, uh, that God is patient and our slowness to change, you know, yeah. all of those sorts of things, but also that we're forgiven and transformed through God's grace. And that transformation, like you said, is what allows us to live that godly life. You know, uh, a lot of women's ministries, the ones that focus on that, those are the healthy ones. Um, but if it's merely, you know, tips and tricks to having a happy marriage, like, uh, for example, kiss your husband when he walks in the door, have regular dates with your children, keep your cupboards organized. I heard one a few years ago, uh, the best way to um, make your house look 
good is to have a clean, sparkling sink every night before you go to bed, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it goes on and on and on. And uh, the gospel somehow gets missed in many of these. We want to bring that back. We want to make sure that you know as women listening to the sounds of our voices, doesn't matter what we say, but focus on that gospel message and make that first and foremost. Yeah, the tips are fine and giggling and, and having fun with this is fine, but the gospel is what we're here for. Yes, and along with the gospel, you need to have that sound doctrine yeah. as well. You know, sometimes people argue that women shouldn't teach doctrine even to other women. Oh. But when you look at Oops. that list in Titus, it, it you know, it focuses on a lot of lifestyle, not necessarily doctrine. But we are to teach what accords with sound doctrine. Yes, we That's are. why yeah. I started reading from Titus 1. And notice after I said what applies to the men, I said, likewise, Likewise, the older women. So we are, we're to teach about, you know, salvation, as you mentioned, the the gospel, uh, that assurance we have, the authority of the Bible, all of these things, the Trinity, the spirit, predestination even. I mean, you know, for those he foreknew, he also predestined. That's kind of a confusing verse for a lot of people. And we need to understand what these things mean, because if someone questions you on a belief, you got to know the why you believe, not just what you believe. Or you have to be willing and humble to say, you know what, um, I'm not real clear on that myself, but let's go to the Word together. And true discipleship means you're actually going to be in the Word. And as Nancy and I said at the very top of this program, um, Scripture is how you get to know God. Uh, and what, even, you know, prayer is important. We need to pray as women with one another. But, um, you know, our prayers are our conversation uh, to God, our requests, our, our, you know, praying for other women. Uh, their families and, and their their concerns and burdens. Um, scripture is what he breathes out back to us, and, and he tells us his will, his character. We can know what, what he wants us to know about him through his word. And so um, we need to be confident as women, Nancy, to trust in him and mm-hmm. to be able to do that with other women. So do we know what we believe and why we believe it? And you can only do that with a deep knowledge of the Bible and of God's sovereign purposes. Yeah. You know, then you can really uh, not fear what is frightening and just rely on God no matter what happens. And you'll really have the courage for submission. Uh-oh, I said the S word. The S word is the scariest thing I think that most people hear, especially when you talked about feminism, Nancy, mm-hmm. because submission is not a part of feminism at all. No, it's not. And the thing is, is, is submission is voluntarily laying down your own will and desires. And the way I look at it is Jesus was submissive when he was on this earth. He was submissive to the Father. Yeah, he was. You know, um, biblical womanhood is one of those things, and you're going to hear this uh, time and time again here at Naomi's table, but you also need to hear about it from uh, your women's ministry. What does it mean to know God's glorious plan for womanhood? I mean, you know, um, it's not an afterthought. God actually had uh, specific points that he wanted to share with us about ourselves, about our nature as women, um, you know, our great plan and, and who, uh, how he set up our families, for instance, how he set up authority. And by the way, everything comes under authority to God. Uh, and he set up a, a beautiful structure. And so we need to learn about that and just trust him with it. 
Boy, I think there's so much more we could really talk about here, but we're going to have to probably wait and do that tomorrow, aren't we? You know, tomorrow, let's do that tomorrow, Nancy, because there are some practical skills, uh, biblical skills that we can learn from Scripture, uh, from Titus 2 and other places. And then uh, tomorrow, Nancy and I are going to give you some practical tips, everyday ideas for encouraging women uh, to follow this kind of this Titus 2 model. And we're going to look at a couple things. We're going to look at uh, what do we need to, do, to know as the older uh, <clears throat> season woman, uh, what do we need to know if we are the, uh, perhaps the facility? Maybe you've asked, been asked to uh, step in at your church to facilitate small group or something like that. Uh, how can you help? And then, of course, for the younger women, we need to talk about that because young doesn't necessarily mean age, but uh, those who are new to the faith as well. So uh, we're going to talk about what it becomes to, um, you know, transition those bring us together in a Titus 2 way, and I think that'll be a great conversation. So ladies, I hope you can join us for that, or, um, you know, if you can't, we've got podcasts on our website at naomistable.com. They're all archived there, so we'll make it real easy for you to find. There you go, and I must be one of those seasoned women, because I have salt and pepper hair. Ah, there you go. Seasoning is good. (laughs) All right, well, ladies, uh, I got a little frosting here that I need to take care of, but we're going to go to our Bible study next. Connie Stample is in, and she's got a one wonderful Bible study, and we're doing it right now in the book of Genesis. Uh, If you haven't kept up, you can just dive in anytime in these Bible studies, and we've got all the notes and uh, prior podcast right up on our website, even just the 10-minute teaching ones, and uh, we're going to get to that when we come back. We equip women around the world to nurture others with the word. Want to partner with Naomi's Table? Consider being a business partner. Details at naomistable.com. It's time to pull up a chair and open your Bible for today's Bible study segment of Naomi's Table. Gather around and let's begin. Well, ladies, welcome back to the table. My teacher, Connie Stample, is here with us again. Connie, welcome back. Thank you, Amy. We are here doing day three of the book of Genesis, and I understand we're still in the first chapter. What are we going to be learning about today? Well, we're going to find that God creates more of what we see around us, the plants and animals and humans. All right, let's go into it. Ladies, uh, if you'll open up to Genesis chapter 1, we're going to continue on uh, right at chapter or verse 11. We're going to go all the way through 31 today. All right, so we can start by just reading the scripture. Genesis 1, 11 to 13 is what the first little bit we're going to count, look at. So, Amy, if you'd read that, please. Okay, it says, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which there is their seed, each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning on the third day. Okay, so here we find God on the third day has created the plant life, and he created plants. They might have been small plants, but they started out as real plants, not just seeds or whatever. And we find out that what they do, those plants, is they do produce seeds, which means they can reproduce. And we also find the term according to its kind. And so we see again that God created the world and the plant life on the world to be able to reproduce um, according to the type it is. And we really, I think God's category of kind is whatever would be able to grow and reproduce and make more of it, not so much 
the way we people have divided up kinds. And as yeah. we talk about things like dogs and different like species or whatever, we find that if, if animals can reproduce, then they're part of a kind. Yes, okay. that, that so. makes a lot of sense, especially when you think about you know, Noah and uh, the ark and the animals, each of its kind. We, we'll get into that a little bit later. Exactly. But we do know that God created incredible diversity on Earth because scientists have cataloged 1.2 million or so type species of, yeah. of living creatures and plants, and they're not done. They think there might be more than 8 million wow. species. Exactly. And so that kind of blows your mind if you really think about how diverse this world is Amen. as far as life. Okay. Um, so then going on, we'll find God created some more things. All right, uh, 14 through 19. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. All right, so now God has made specific lights to give light for some specific purposes. And notice he created light on the first day. And so this is something different. He's created a created thing that will shed light. We know that in heaven, there'll be no need for light because the light will come from God himself. Mm. But here we have God creating um, lights in the expanse of the heavens, and that means the stars. But then we also find that he's specifically creating the sun and the moon to give light to the earth and help us. But notice it says they will be for signs and seasons. And so, again, it's really a signal and um, the other thing is for days and years. And so it's going to help us tell time because peoples throughout the history of the earth have always looked at the stars and the sun and the moon to march time. And everyone has a year that's about the same length and months that are about the same length. And so God really did bless us by giving us these kind of things. What we're going to do is look at just a couple other scriptures that talk about how those scriptures mark time for us. So the first one is in Psalm 19, verses 1 to 6. All right, and this is uh, written to the choir master, a psalm of David, and it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a, a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat." Thank you, Amy. What poetic language to describe the sun and the stars and all those beautiful things. But again, it's speaking of God doing it for a purpose, to help us tell time, to give us seasons, and it's just a beautiful example of God's blessing. 
Let's go on and read the next part of Genesis. What did God create on the next day? All right, uh, 20 through 23 says, And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. All right, and so here God is creating animal life, and we find out he has a purpose for it. He wants it to multiply and fill and be numerous, and even the word swarm or team there just tells us about the bounty of what God is doing. The Hebrew word for birds could mean all flying things and so we find god is filling the seas and he's filling the air with creatures all right and then the uh, next verses are from genesis 24 and 25 there in chapter one and god said let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds and it was so and god made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. All right. So now we have the land animals formed. And the, the words are helping us see things the way the Hebrews did because you either have the wild beasts or you have the livestock, the domesticated animals, or just whatever might be creeping around. And so that covers all animals. And God created them all. All right. And uh, then the next uh, couple of verses, uh, 26 and 27, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. All right. So the last living creature God creates is the human race man and woman, both of them. And it talks about how they're special because they are made in God's image. And we're going to be exploring that some more as we go through the rest of uh, chapter 1 and 2. But truly what it means about about being made in God's image is being a representative of God. Because if we see right after that, this man was to be given dominion over all the creatures of the earth. He is to rule and be God's representative to show forth God's glory and we have a couple scriptures to look at just talking about how God has made man in a special way. Yeah, two scriptures, one from the Old Testament, one from the New. So we'll start with uh, Psalms chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. And then in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse, uh, verse 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Yes, thank you, Amy. And so your homework for today is really going to be examining and looking at what does it mean to be made in God's image, and how can you glorify God you know, as you're made in his image. But we're also going to take a look at just the rest of the verse or the rest of the chapter there and talk about um, how God, again, 
talked to humans, gave them dominion, and gave them some other specific instructions. All right, and this is uh, wrapping up this part of the verse for today. Uh, for Genesis 1, uh, verse 28 and 30, through 31, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with the seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. Thank you, Amy. And I think we just need to pay attention to a couple of things in this section of scripture. One is God bless them. And then he gives them again the order to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, literally tread upon it and have dominion over the fish and the birds and every living thing on the earth. And then we find that God gives plant life to man and animals to eat. And so they are allowed to eat anything on every green plant on on the earth. And then finally, we find out that God said that after examining what he had made, that it was very good. Yes, there's a Bible verse here, Connie, that Mm. you have included. I I like this one, too, from 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Yes. Okay, so here we come to the completion of creation, the end of day six. And so we've got the world inhabited by animals and people, and there's food, and everything is good. Amen. Well, ladies, that concludes our lesson for today. But again, the notes as well as this 10-minute podcast you can find on our website, naomistable.com. You can use them uh, however you need to to study the Word of God. And uh, we just uh, invite you to do that with other ladies or on your own. Nancy and I will be back in just a moment to talk more about what you just heard today. We'll be right back. Naomi's Table is 100% listener-supported, serving women around the world thanks to our listeners' generous gifts. Go to our website, naomistable.com, and click on the support button. And thank you for equipping us to equip women. The food is ready. Now, back to Naomi's Table. Welcome back to the table, ladies. What you just heard in our segment prior uh, was our Bible study in the book of Genesis. We had teacher Connie Stampful tell us all about uh, lesson number three. And uh, Nancy, I did most of the talking back then. What, why don't you share with us what you got out of it? Let's talk personal application here. Well, I'd love to camp out for a while on her talking about the uh, things that were created each according to its kind, yeah. meaning that they were able to reduce within their kind. But she also pointed out that God had also created the ability within each kind to make incredible diversity. And I think that's something that we take for granted. And it's probably the number one thing that derails people more mm-hmm. when their uh, biblical account, uh, their belief in that of Noah and the flood is challenged. Yes. Because when you talk about oh, well, how could you fit all those animals on the ark? And 
we don't understand. It was two of each kind of animal that was on the ark. Right. So not a Chihuahua and a Doberman and an English Mastiff. It was it or was a, a canine. Yes. Yeah, not even, even a dog or a wolf. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, but as we find out from folks, uh, the re- scientific researchers at like Answers in Genesis and those guys, uh, you find out that uh, the ark is actually full of room. Uh, there, there's so much room in this thing, and uh, you can find uh, places for a lot. Lots of different animals, and there are so many species. I just wish that they, ha- they hadn't uh, included the wood ticks and mosquitoes, but that's just me. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. I think that was part of the curse that God created. <laughs> I'm not sure. But let's think about that for a while, okay? All right. Uh, here you have two kind, okay, canine kind. Yeah. And out of those two kind, you get dogs, all kinds of dogs. Mm-hmm. You get wolves, you get dingoes, you get uh, maybe hyenas and sure. foxes and anything that is in that canine kind that you get all of those. Now, the interesting thing is, is uh, I believe when Darwin did his studies of the Galapagos Islands, and he was particularly looking at these birds, Mm -hmm. and he noticed, I think, from one island to the next, how the birds would be a little different. This one would have a longer beak. Uh, This one would have a a color on it that the other ones didn't have. This one would have this. This one would have that. And... He noted that each one had developed those in order to adapt to their particular environment on each of the islands. So, in other words, the one with the longer beak, that that they had to have the longer beak in order to get to the food source. Yeah. But here's the thing. If you were to look at the DNA sequencing or uh, something of each of those birds, you would find out that they were all basically the same bird. Exactly. And that's what, uh, if you recall, ladies, if you were with us, uh, was it last week or the week before that we had uh, Dr. Georgia Perdamon with us, uh, a molecular uh, biologist from Answers in Genesis, uh, we linked up to her new book about the Galapagos Islands because she was so fascinated to go there and study that very same thing that Darwin uh, did. And it's amazing how people will believe in that lie. And in fact, that lie is is uh, perpetrated all over college campuses everywhere. Uh, when Remember when uh, Ray Comfort went and questioned mm-hmm. people about, uh, you know, uh, people who, about whether or not they believed in evolution. And those that did on these college campuses would all point to the the Galapagos Islands. Well, that's where we've actually seen uh, real uh, things changing kind. Well, no, you didn't see things changing kind. You saw maybe a couple of beaks change shape and color. Right. And I think Darwin himself even discovered that if you took one of those that had the short beaks and put on the island with the longer beaks, that eventually it would develop the longer beak. So within that bird kind, it had all the genetic material it needed for every single variation. Likewise, with that canine kind that Noah had on the ark, within that canine kind, it had all of the genetic material yeah. for every single variation that there would ever be. So you you need to understand that word kind is very, very important. And it's something that 
too often the world just glosses over. Yeah. And, and the other thing I think that the world is beginning to gloss over even more is the value of human life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are uh, created in his image, male and female. And I think that there's a, a sector of society that would put either equal or even more value on animals uh, rather than human beings for that reason. And you see, you know, news headlines all the time of that happening. Um, but we need to remember that human beings are set apart and special in God's eyes because of the way he created us and for what purpose. And I already know what uh, Bible verses we're going to leave people with today. Okay. I want to go skip forward, if you will, to the account of Noah, because uh, many times people look at, for instance, capital punishment mm-hmm. for horrific murders, things like that, and they say, oh, no, well, uh, that was part of the old law. That was Old Testament and everything. And Jesus was all about love and mercy and grace and forgiveness. And yes, he was. But we have to understand that Jesus, being the Word of God, he is the entire Bible, in yeah. effect. And he was the one through whom and for whom and by whom all this was created. And when you get to the story of Noah, God gives some very specific commandments to Noah and his sons regarding capital punishment. This is way before the law. And the reason why is because man is made in his image. Exactly. And I know, Nancy, um, a a while back, you already, uh, because you know Connie Stanfield and and she goes to your church fellowship, uh, you've already taken this lesson and have gotten through those parts. And in fact, just today, Connie and I were talking about this. Uh, We pre-record, of course, her uh, segments so that you can play them around your own table, ladies. And we just did that one today. So I'm so excited that you would say that, Nancy, because uh, it, it really blew my mind when I heard how uh, capital punishment is actually God-ordained, and like you said, before the law was even given. So why don't we do this? We'll end it here and uh, take a little break. Nancy's looking for those verses right now, and uh, we'll be back with those in just a moment. No junk food served here. Now, back to Naomi's Table. Well, ladies, we are back, ready to wrap up the program. And as promised, Nancy is in the book of Genesis. Nancy, where are you? Yes, I'm actually going to go all the way back to Genesis 8, starting at verse 20 and carry it through 9, verse 6. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of a man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. 
For God made man in his own image. Wow, Nancy, that does talk to us directly about uh, the practice of capital punishment and uh, whether we find that, um, you know, culturally relevant today or not, it's in God's word. And that's something that we take very seriously. It is. And we have to remember the reason for it is because man is made in God's image. So it is an offense to God if someone murders another man. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, ladies, we never said that every single verse would be easy. And uh, in this case, for many of us, uh, these are some of the hard ones. So pray about this. Be in prayer. Ask the Lord to uh, show you through his word, his truth, and then we need to trust him with it. All right. We're going to leave it here for today, but uh, do join us tomorrow. Bring some friends along, pull up that chair, and uh, we're going to be back at the table again with some nourishing words from scripture for you and some encouragement. Until then, have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you for joining us today at Naomi's Table. We encourage you to head over to naomistable.com for resources, articles, Bible study guides, and much more. Until next time, be equipped and encouraged in God's Word. 